In your tiredness today, my prayer and my prayer all week has been that through his word, God will share his rest with you. Whether you just need a better practical pattern of rest in your home or whether it's something much deeper than you realize, I pray that as we see what God does when he has done with his work and creation, he will share with us the great rest that he found there. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the first or second page to Genesis chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, grab the dark blue one in front of you. You could turn it to page one or two and find it there as well. We're going to just read the first three verses of Genesis 2, and we're going to look there for a foundation that can give us true rest. The Lord says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he, he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. Then he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all the work which he had created and made. The word of the Lord. Those of you that are creative probably know this pattern very well. You dream something up, you establish its foundations, you work on it a little bit, you leave it for a night, you come back to it, you do a little more, you leave it, you come back to it, you fill out the details, you're getting very excited about it, there is motion, you're making a huge mess while you do it, and you can leave to it, you come back again, you fill out some more details, you put the crowning achievement on, and you say, okay, this is good, but it's not quite right, I'm going to tweak this thing about it, and then finally it's finished and you just look at it and you're like ah you rest in the finished work that you have made well if you have ever done that with any house project or anything that you've ever done uh, you need to know there's nothing new under the sun the Lord did that first right six days of hustle and bustle all kinds of things that were going on fish suddenly swarming in the sea he created this he filled it he did this he did that uh, he tweaked it he said oh this is good but it's not good that man be alone I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. so he tweaks it he does work and work and work all through the power of his voice and then he rests because it was very good and it is blessed to just sit and look at the finished work that you have done. Well, that seventh day is really unique in this story. I mean, there's there's so much motion and activity going into it, right? I mean, things happen. Uh, animals are all over the place. There are bugs creeping on the ground. You see things moving. There's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning, and then boom, it just stops, right? And there's not even evening and morning listed on the seventh day because that, I think that would be too much motion in the story. Like there's this feeling of a sudden ceasing that I think Moses wants that story to have. Uh, it's unique in another way too. The other six days all pair off well. The very first three days, and we've got a slide of this that kind of shows this paired out, but there, the first three days, the Lord makes things, right? He makes light and then he separates the sea from the sky and then he makes the dry land. And then on the, the next three days, he fills those things up, right? Something he makes and then he fills. He makes the lights. Well, on day four, he puts the lights in the sky. He makes the sea in the sky. Well, on day five, corresponding with that, he fills those things with birds and fish and so on and so forth. They all pair off very nicely. And then there's just this seventh wheel that just doesn't fit into any of the other days. It's totally different from the others, a set apart and holy day. God stops and rests when his work is finished. And that's a big deal. It's a good thing. That's, that's our foundation this morning. 
If you've been here the last few weeks, you're probably used to the pattern that we've been doing here. These first two chapters of Genesis are filled with so many foundations for the Christian life. We've just been picking them one by one, looking at one at a time, and then spending a whole sermon seeing how it unfolds in the Bible. We've got probably two more of those. This one here about rest, one next week, and then we'll take a break from that. And when I come back to preaching, we'll start with chapter three and move on. The foundation this week is that God rests when his work is finished. And that means quite a lot for us. Before we get too much into that foundation, uh, notice what he doesn't do here. Uh, He does what I think a lot, he doesn't do what I think a lot of us expect him to do. Uh, He doesn't do what I honestly wish that he would have done. With all of the other things that he ordains here and does, he then instructs humans to mirror it in some way, right? He gives us, he makes us in the image of God, and then he says, have dominion over the earth. He makes us male and female, and then he says, be fruitful and multiply. So you know that it's from the Lord's mouth that that's supposed to apply to us. He gives the first woman to the first man in marriage, and he says, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife. So these creation ordinances are set there. And then he gets to the seventh day, and I just want so badly for him to say, and with this, God established the weekend, and he made it wonderful and holy. And he blessed it saying, may you watch college football and eat Rotel on this, the best day of the week. Like this is what we want, right? And it's really what we expect. We almost assume that everyone is supposed to rest on the seventh day because the Lord rested on the seventh day. I'm going to pause and see if I can fix this squirrely microphone that's probably distracting you as much as it's distracting me. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say that. And for a lot of us, that's the first thing we need to see. The Lord does not here say that he expects all humanity to mirror the rest that he did on the seventh day. He will say that later to Israel, but it'll be particular to Israel. We'll talk about that. But it is not established as a creation ordinance that every human must rest on the seventh day. I think you may be a little like me and just expected that he would have done something like that, but he did not do that. So there's our foundation. The Lord rests, but he doesn't command us all to rest on the seventh day. It's not a human thing that we have to do. Let's build on that foundation then. Israel is going to reflect God's rest on the seventh day after his work is done in two different ways. One that we talk about a lot and one that we don't talk about very much. The one we talk about a lot starts in the book of Exodus and then moves through the book of Deuteronomy. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 16, and we'll see one way that Israel starts to mirror this rest. So they're out in the desert, right? The Lord has freed the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They're out wandering in the desert, a barren wilderness. There's nothing to eat. There's very little to drink. The Lord's providing for them miraculously. And they start saying, hey, we don't have anything to eat. And so the Lord causes this mysterious bread-like stuff to appear in the morning. And they go out and gather it every day and they bake from it and eat from it. And they call it manna, which is kind of a degrading name that means what is this? because it was so weird and mysterious and I'm supposed to eat this. I wanted to eat the good stuff back in Egypt. They call it manna because of that. A weird thing happens though in that if they save any of it for the next day, it spoils. And so they got to go out and collect new manna every day. Well, then on the sixth day, they're told to collect twice as much 
Because this time they're supposed to save it for the seventh day. And that's a little mysterious. And, and why is that? Well, Exodus 16.22 begins to tell the story of why they collected twice as much manna on the sixth day. It says, Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And when all the leaders of the congregation came to Moses, uh, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, holy to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, put aside and keep it to morning. And so they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And then the Lord God said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the seventh people rested, or the people rested on the seventh day. So in this special way, he commands Israel to begin patterning, patterning their life after his, to pattern their rest after his. Uh, through this little six-day pattern, on the seventh day, you don't gather out any manna. And later on, when the law is given, God gives this nation their own law. If you can imagine not having a Congress because God wrote all of your laws and it's all the laws you're gonna need, he does that for them. He writes a law for them. He says, you are my people and I'm gonna actually put this in the law that you were all to keep the Sabbath. So at the center of that law was the Ten Commandments. If we flip ahead to Exodus chapter 20, you can read one of the Ten Commandments there. Chapter 20, verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, one of their great Ten Commandments was because God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, they needed to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy in the way that they acted that day. They needed to follow his rest on that day. And he gives them two reasons for doing this, okay? So they are following his pattern of six days work, one day rest. And later on, he's going to give two reasons for it. We'll give you one reason in Exodus 31. Flip ahead to Exodus 31. We'll start with verse 12 and 18. The command comes up again, and he flushes it out a little bit. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths for, and here it is, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. But six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. 
So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Here it is again. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And when he finished speaking upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone written by the finger of God. So that seventh day Sabbath was not something that all humanity was expected to do. Only the sons of Israel were expected to do it. And they were expected to do it as a sign of their covenant with God. Moses gave them several signs, several things that said, you are different from all the other nations in the world. Circumcision was one of them. This Sabbath day was another one. It says, your nation is different from the other nations. That is why the Lord never faults the other nations for not keeping the Sabbath. Now, he often at times through the prophets roars against other nations for their murderous ways, for the terrible things of immorality that they were doing, for oppressing the poor, for all sorts of things. He calls out the nations when they do wrong, but he never once in all the Bible calls them out for not keeping the Sabbath. Why? Well, because the Sabbath was a special sign for the people of Israel. He did not expect the rest of the world to do it. At one point, he does invite foreigners to come into his covenant, and if they come into the covenant, then they can practice the Sabbath. But they do it as a sign that they have joined themselves to the Lord through that Mosaic covenant. So that's the first reason Israel rested on the seventh day, right? It's a sign between them and God that they are a chosen nation. They are the people of Israel and the Lord is their God, much like circumcision was. The second reason is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's flip there. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. He says, Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Here's where it gets interesting. You or your son or daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that, this is the important thing, so that your male servant and your female servant may have rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So he's painting this contrast between their life under God and their life under Pharaoh. He's like, remember when you were in Egypt? Did you get a day off in Egypt? No, they did not get a day off. They got commands to make more bricks with less straw. Things got harder and harder under difficult taskmasters, under a tyrannical pharaoh. That's the way life was in Egypt. He says, when you're under me, I'm giving you a day off. And I want you to show that level of kindness to the servants who work for you, to the animals that stay under your roof, to the sojourners who come and are a part of your house. The kindness I am showing you by giving you a day off, you need to show to others too. You need to be as kind to others as I am to you. So we can see in that then that getting a day off is just a good thing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing Pharaoh did not give to the people of Israel. It's a blessing the Lord did give to the people of Israel. And it's a blessing that a good employer 
gives to their employees and says, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you a day off so that you can have refreshment just as much as I do. So we can see just foundational truths there that a day off is a good thing. Even if the church today may not be commanded to take a Sabbath, a day off is a good thing. You should take one when you can get one. So the seventh-day Sabbath was one day that God's foundation worked out in Israel's life, that God's rest worked out in their life. Uh, There is also a second way, and it's one that we rarely talk about. The second way is that Israel also has this pattern through her history of seasons of difficult work, like a hard thing they're doing, in hope that God is going to give them rest from that. And they use the word rest to describe it. So for instance, they are wandering out in the desert. You can imagine what it is like to walk all the way from Egypt to the land of Israel in the desert. You'd be worn out, you'd be tired, despite how miraculous God is being around you, you would be tired. And you would long for the day when God gives you rest in that land he's taking you to. Much like a long hike or a long walk on the trail, you know that rest is coming when you get there. Well, they would use the word rest to refer to that. Or similarly, a woman named Ruth and her two daughters have all three been widowed and it's been a very difficult 10 years for them in the land of Moab. And she blesses them and she says, may the Lord be kind to you as you've been kind to the dead and to me. And may you find rest, each of you in the household of a husband. So the day when that hardship ends and they find husbands again, that's the day of rest. Or you can think of David who thought, fought a great many battles in hopes that one day the Lord would give him rest from his enemies. So there is this pattern, and it goes on and on throughout the Old Testament, that they're doing a hard thing, but the Lord is going to give us rest. Why? When? When this job is finished. Well, that looks a lot like God's pattern, doesn't it? He is making, 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 and when the job is finished, there will be rest. Their pattern of history echoes that as well. Now, I'm going to have to leave that there, but that's going to become important later on. Uh, So you find those two ways that Israel followed God's pattern of rest set in Genesis 2. First, through a regular Sabbath on the seventh day and other variations of the Sabbath laws as well, and by constantly working toward rest in something in their history. So, Now with those two, let's talk about how those are fulfilled for us today and what that means for us today. Let's talk first about the Sabbath. What does the Sabbath mean for us today? When you read about Israel's law, it is so tempting to take it as if it is written for us today. I still sometimes have that trouble when I'm reading Israel's law. And indeed, there are teachers all over the place who will say, not just, you know, a foundational Old Testament truth, but they'll read a piece of the law and say, because Israel was commanded this, you must do it today. And it never works out consistently. It's always difficult. But it's one of those snares we can always fall into to take a law and say, we've got to obey it because Israel obeyed it. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Teachers doing that is as old as following Jesus is. In fact, in the first century, there were many teachers rising up in the church saying, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be a Jew first, right? If you want to be a Christian, you've got to be circumcised, come into the people of God, then you can follow Jesus. You got to obey the whole law first. And so much of Paul's writing was spent just fighting that and saying, no, if you want to follow Jesus, you just have to follow Jesus. That's all there is to it. And, And the Jews, you guys need to let go of that old covenant and cling to Jesus because he is your salvation. So he writes about that over and over again. One spot that's very important is in Colossians 2. Let's turn there. If you've been flipping along with me, turn to Colossians 2. If not, we'll put it up on the screens for you. 
So he's talking about this, about the teachers that are rising up and condemning them over uh, just what they are doing, how they are handling the Israelite law. And he says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And why? Because these things, which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if you have had someone tell you, and there are certain churches that will tell you that you have to take the seventh day off as a form of rest in obedience to God, this is the verse that you need. This is the verse that you need to hear so that you can know no one can judge you for what you do on Saturday or in some senses on Sunday, whether you are resting or not. If you have ever felt a sense of guilt, because like I know for moms, this is so hard. Like you try to take a day off in the week and well, the baby still fills the diaper anyway, right? And so you still have stuff you have to do and then you wind up feeling terrible and feeling guilty because you didn't take a day off like you were designed to do. No, Paul says, let no one act as your judge over whether you celebrate a festival or whether you take a Sabbath day. Now, why is that? Well, because that Sabbath was just a foreshadow. It was just a a shadow cast by a great person. And to cling to the shadow is to miss the person casting it. It pointed forward to Jesus Christ. How did he do that? Well, consider it this way. If Many of us have tasked ourselves with finding God's favor, with doing things well enough and good enough and obeying him well, of doing enough good in the world that if there is a God in heaven, he might look down on us and smile and say, that is a good person there. That's the kind of person I want to bring into my heaven and into my kingdom, right? If you have tasked yourself with that, you've tasked yourself with an impossible task that you will spend the rest of your life trying to fulfill. Because no amount of good deeds, no amount of inventing new technologies for humanity, no amount of curing diseases, no amount of caring for someone you love could ever be enough to cancel out the debt we have before God because of the evil things that we have done before him. So it's like spending the rest of your life working at minimum wage to try to pay down an infinite debt. You will just work and work and work and slave away and you'll never get there. It's an infinite payment. But Jesus did something to earn God's favor, and he offers it to you with an open hand. What he did is he did no wrong in the first place. He has no debt to pay. And then early in his ministry, with few works really to his name, he has the spirit of God come down from heaven and the voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? So this is the one who has the favor of God, who needs to earn nothing before God and owes nothing to God, but he still dies a sinner's death on a Roman cross. And one of the things we need to see here in this is that the way he died was through exhaustion. He was up all night the night before with a trial and getting thrown in a well and staying there and then they drag him out of that. He's walking all over the place. Someone traced how many miles he walked that night. It was just a terrible amount of walking that he had to do. Then he gets tried. He gets convicted. He gets tormented and blood is just let out of his body. So now he's got no energy with which to do what is going to be called of him that evening or that morning, I should say. He takes up a heavy cross and is walking it 
up the mountain, but he's lost so much blood and is so exhausted that he just collapses and he can't carry the cross up anymore. He has literally worked his body to the point it can do no more. And there's probably a Roman soldier there kicking him or doing something to him saying, get up and get the rest of the way up this mountain. And he is digging his feet into the ground and he can't lift the thing anymore. He's totally exhausted. And so they take the beam from him and they give it to a guy named Simon. Simon carries it up. They take him all the way up. They staple him to this cross with nails. He hangs there with his arms at his side until his lungs fill up with fluid and he's literally exhausted to the point of expiring on the cross. He died of exhaustion. But before he did, he let out words of victory. It is finished. The job killed him, but the job was done. And then the sun went down. And many of you know what day came when the sun went down. The Sabbath day came. They took his body down. The sun goes down. They put him in a cave and he rests dead in the grave for a whole day. And friend, you can spend all of Saturday in bed and never get up to go to the bathroom and you will not rest as deeply as your Lord rested on that Sabbath day. Laid there dead in the grave. The sun went down again and the third day began and he took a breath and got up and walked out of that grave victorious over sin. Why? Because the job was done. The job was finished. And that feeling that the Lord had in the very beginning when he finished creation and said, ah, that was good. Or when he finished his work and rested after the cross and said, ah, that was good. You can have that sense about your desire to please God, your desire to pay the debt of your sin that you are working and working and working to pay, you can sit back and say, it is finished. Doesn't that feel great? That Sabbath rest your heart can have. But what you have to do is you have to stop trying to earn it. You have to let his death on the cross be enough to pay for every single one of your sins. When a person is drowning and being rescued by a lifeguard, one of the things that drowning person has to do is stop flapping their arms and stop treading water so the lifeguard can get to them and just place their exhausted body on that lifeguard who will take them to safety. You have to stop the work you're doing and let Jesus carry you into God's favor. That is what it means to rest. You don't have to keep the Sabbath because Jesus did it in a way that you never could. And now that feeling of rest and refreshment after his finished work was done can be yours because he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So that's the rest that the Lord Jesus offers everybody here Uh, But here's the rub that I know some of you have. Some of you have tasted that rest, you know, just what it is like. And you live for Jesus now and you're looking at your life honestly and you're finding that the Christian life is actually a lot of work and it's actually very hard. It's not work done to earn God's favor, 
but it's still wearing you out, right? It's still difficult. And the, the Bible has a word for you as well, and I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, now, we've got to see this season that we are in as a season of God doing great works through us, right? Jesus says, when I leave, you will do greater works than I have done here on the earth because the Spirit of God will be with you. Paul says in Colossians, just a little bit before what we just read, he said, for this reason, I toil struggling with his power that he works in me, right? The Lord is empowered. Paul to preach great things, and it's a struggle for Paul. It's hard work. Uh, 2 Corinthians says we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the power is from God and it's not from us. Philippians 2.12 says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in us. We're in this age, the church age, we've been commissioned to reach all people in all nations, right? Bring the gospel to all nations, and that is a lot of work. It's wearing us out. It's hard stuff to do. But remember Israel's pattern of history. She, we go through an age with the Lord, and at the end of the age, there is promised rest. And during the age, the Lord has promised to be with us and work through us. So we just have to remember that in this age, not only is the Lord working through us, but he promises us rest when it is over. Uh, if you look with me in Hebrews 4, you can see that said explicitly. Hebrews 4, 8 through 10. Now the whole two chapters, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4, are all about this. But remember, Israel out in the desert, they are just weary, they are just tired. And when it's over... Verse eight says, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken about another day after that. So here's the kicker. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered into his rest has himself also rested from his work as God did on his. He's promising us there that when this church age ends, when your age of making disciples and doing all that you were doing for the Lord ends, what's waiting you on the other end of that? Rest. Same thing that was waiting for Israel when they got into the promised land. Revelation 14 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. And it goes on to describe a feast that is like no other, better rest than Israel ever had in a better land, in a better city, and in better bodies. So we labor, Christians, but we labor both with the sense that the God who favors us is working through us and with a hope that the great commission we've inherited will one day be complete and rest will come after it. Can you see how different that is from godless work being done? So many people today walk around, even if they articulate a belief in God, they're walking around not really aware of an awe-inspiring, amazing God that demands their worship who is always there. Not really present, a present sense of that when they're walking around doing their work. And without any sense that there could be something greater to the world than human flourishing. So like us having success right now and, and our children having success after us, everything going well, that's the best good that could possibly happen. And there's not a sense that God is helping us to do anything we're doing. And so we're left on our own trying to make ourselves flourish completely and our children after us. And then maybe if we have time to do that, then we can do some world-changing thing and then we can somehow take over the world at the same time as we do it. So much pressure rested on us to do all of the good. And if you live like that, a simple act like buckling your child in the car seat can just be total tyranny. 
because it's so, it can be so difficult. So you got to clip this thing and you got to do that and you got to do this and you got to read the manual and get the seat in there just right. And if you don't do it in there just right, if you do all of that, believing that it is fully on you to keep your child safe, it will feel like tyranny and it will be filled with anxiety. But if instead you say, the Lord has given me these children, I'm going to raise them to follow him. He keeps them safe and he works through me to do it. Well, then you can do all those same things. You can buckle the seat. You can read the manual four times because you can't figure it out. You can slip the seatbelt in there, do all that stuff with no anxiety in your heart because it is God who is working through you to keep your children safe. That would work the same way, say, for someone who is looking for a job. You can put out resumes like it all depends on you with no hope that rest will ever come from the season that you're in. And when things don't go well, you can end up in despair, right? Because what can I do to make this work and to make more interviews come my way and make all of this work out better? What can I do? How am I ever going to find a job that honors God? And maybe in that discouragement and despair, you don't work as hard and you might even spiral and become less productive. But if instead you do it with confidence that God works through you to do his work and you do it knowing that rest is coming, well, now you've got inspiration and energy to keep working even when the resumes you kick out don't bring job interviews back to you. Why? Because God's working through me. He's going to accomplish his will through what I'm doing so I can just do the work and leave the result up to him. One last thing to remember here, and it's if God rested on the seventh day and that was good, and if it was good for God to give Israel a day off and Pharaoh was cruel to not give Israel a day off, which is how the scriptures paint it, then we need to all Christians receive the fact that that day off is a good thing. If you can get it, take a day off because it's good. If people work for you, do what you can to give them that day off because it would be good for them. I think it would even help the company to do better. And it may mean that dads, you need to be kind to your family and lead them in a day of family rest together, not out of legal obligation to keep the Sabbath, but because you know that rest and refreshment are good and we're going to enjoy good things from God if we can get them. So I'll leave you with these questions. If you are busy, why are you busy? Because people are busy for different reasons. Some of us are busy because our eyes are on the prize of flourishing or success and not on the prize of following Jesus. So our kids' success, our own success, the enjoyment of retirement, making a difference in the world, we'll never have enough of any of those things. And so you just fill your plate with more and more things until it becomes too much and you get worn out. If that's you, I urge you, prize Jesus more than those things. Point your kids to him more than you point them to success and see how fruitless it is to flourish a flower that is only going to die. How pointless it is to flourish your life and not have heavenly rest waiting for you. Some of us are too busy because we don't see the good of rest and we need to just stop and see that God did his six hectic days and he stopped and it was good. We're not commanded to do it, but it was good. And we need to just receive that as a good thing. We need to get the point in our hearts where we can see a low-key, non-productive day around the house as a good, blessed day. And at the end of that day, say, that was a good day. And others of you are just worn in faithful service to Jesus, whether it's in the church or to your family or to others. 
And I urge you, keep on, press on toward the prize. Remember that rest from work is sometimes good and God smiles on it. Remember that it does not depend on you. And remember that the God who works through you promises rest at the end of this era. Let's pray together.